welcome to the Sports and Stilettos podcast. Hello, everybody. We are well over a month into quarantine at this point in time. I hope everybody is still being safe, still being healthy, hopefully still staying home. Today on the SNS podcast, we have Lauren Gardner, who is currently with MLB Network, NHL Network, and The Zone for boxing. LG and I talk about interviewing skills, auditioning skills for a network job. We also talk about some of the do's and don'ts for being on camera, plus all the fun stuff like fashion. So without further ado, here's Lauren Gardner. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for taking some time. I really do appreciate it. I hope your family's doing well. I hope you're doing well in quarantine and everything. Thank you so much, Rachel. I'm happy to be here. Um, Honestly, I'm so thankful that we're all healthy and safe and uh, just trying to find some semblance of normalcy and sanity at this point in time. But, you know, day 30, here we go. Celebrated our one-month quarantine anniversary. What is work looking like for you nowadays? Obviously, there's not a whole lot going on that you can sit and talk to people about, maybe just what their quarantine life is like. Uh, That's a great question. I know that uh, everyone I'm working with, we're scrambling to find ways that we can still obviously practice social distancing and make sure we're maintaining all of that. And first and foremost, the health of not only ourselves, but those around us. And so Zoom has become a very popular platform for all of us to use. And kind of like you said, um, now we're doing some with NHL Network, we're doing some NHL Now, some NHL Tonight, and we're, you know, able to get various players from around the league as guests, and they've been super cooperative and very kind, but at the end of the day, a lot of the things we're talking about are, you know, the shows they're binge watching to pass the time, um, you know, how they're coping with homeschooling some of their younger children, and, uh, you know, we kind of stay away from speculating as to when uh, the league might resume play, just because it's so up in the air right now and really our guess is as good as yours at this point in time. That was one of the questions we got on Twitter. Somebody asked, do you think that the NHL will finish their season? You know, I think that's a great question. That really is the million dollar question. And the discussion that we had with everyone at the network and, you know, all of our colleagues is that first and foremost, everyone's safety is paramount. So it's is just as important now as it was 30 days ago to practice the social distancing and the isolation and to make sure that everyone is healthy and safe and that we can do our part because obviously we're not on the front lines right now. We want to make the jobs of the healthcare workers as easy as possible. So um, as far as the timetable, I have not really heard anything. And as far as the season resuming, I honestly don't know. I mean, you can read all the various articles online and um, there are some different ideas out there um and some of them are extremely creative but you know in an article that i read this morning gary bettman goes on record stating we haven't ruled anything out and as soon as we get clearance from you know the governing bodies whether it be the cdc or the who or you know obviously the federal government they had that call with all the league commissioners and president trump i think that's when they can uh, begin moving forward so i think they will have a lot of um plans in place And I think it just all depends on that timeline. So that was like my very diplomatic way of not answering your question. (laughs) But um, I'm hoping, I am hopeful that we will see not only the season resume, but we will be able to hand that Stanley Cup over to somebody. Like I want to see someone hoist that cup. It may not be in front of fans, but that is okay because I think that's what the fans deserve. How do you think the energy would shift if there are no fans for the Stanley Cup? You, you know, there's so many great stories that we hear around the finals times and just the energy that they build. How do you think it would kind of differ from years past? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I was just reading this article about how 
they began the baseball season, I believe it was in Taiwan, and they have cardboard cutouts in the stands and robots in stands. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like being at a practice. And when it, it's a very um, kind of hollow sound or, you know, being at a morning skate, and I think that's what it sound like. Could they pipe in music? Could they pipe in, um, you know, like the crowd noise? Of course they could do that. They have the ability to do so. I think honestly it's going to be up to uh, the commissioner and maybe even the players as to you know what they want and maybe they do want that extra energy or maybe the fans will all be in for a treat because they're going to hear everything said on the ice so we might need to get that bleep button ready to go <laughs> I was gonna yeah. say you have heard a lot I'm sure on the sidelines or being ringside <laughs> what's the craziest thing you've ever heard that you can you say, know, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the trash talk is pretty good. I think the craziest stuff I heard, um, funny enough, was covering the NLL, the Indoor Lacrosse League. And those guys, because you would be on the bench interviewing players after they score a goal or, you know, or the head coach. And uh, that trash talk, it usually involves, you know, family members and, and uh, you know, maybe significant others. They, they get very creative with their language. It's very colorful. At times, it's kind of funny because some of them will do their research on social media. And, uh, you know, it, it's all in fun. But, yeah, I think it's really just the trash talk. <laughs> do you have a timeline for when you will go back to New York at all? You know, that's a great question. I've been thinking about that. And um, it, it's really up in the air right now. I'm in Denver with my family, and I'm so so fortunate to be spending this time with them and you know not alone in a tiny little apartment in Manhattan when it comes to that timeline you know I was thinking when they they say it's okay to travel obviously that's not necessary travel um, but when it gets closer to you know getting able to uh, I think hop on an airplane and feel safe and not feel like I'm jeopardizing anyone's health or safety as well but I miss it. It's been a month now, <laughs> but I'm obviously so thankful to be here in Denver with family. You've now been in New York for a little over a year, correct? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Time flies. Time does fly. What has been your favorite thing about New York? Ooh, that's a great question. I would say the energy and the people, honestly. Um, it was definitely a leap of faith taking this job and it was really hard to leave this quote-unquote dream job that I had covering, you know, the hometown teams that I grew up watching and cheering for. I worked with the most incredible people, and I had the most incredible boss in Ken Miller, and um, he was so supportive in, you know, helping me make the decision to make that or take that next step. But I have to say that leap of faith was probably the best decision I ever made in terms of just personal growth and professional growth, but it really has been the people. Um, everyone at NHL, MLB, the uh, zone have, have been just, just absolute saints. I've made such great friends in the process. And you know how it is. You kind of just get thrown into an environment where you don't really know anyone. You're starting a new job. You're trying to figure out where you're going to live. And um, I think that's kind of the recipe for forging like really important bonds with people. And I have to say, especially the women at and they'll be an NHL network have just turned into incredible friends. And I'm so thankful for those friendships and just a lot of the lessons I've learned and the opportunities that I've received just in the past year. But man, 12 months flies by like that. Well, there's a lot of people going to be graduating here in May that will probably be looking for jobs, probably in places that they've never been before. What would your advice be to those graduates or anybody that's going to start a new job to kind of get to know people, get familiar with everything going on around them? Yeah, Rachel, that's a great question. I think it really is 
putting yourself out there and it's going to be so easy to kind of want to stay to yourself or, um, you know, stay within that comfort zone. But I think that's the most exciting part about taking that leap of faith. And obviously the job is why you're moving, but you're going out there to create a life for yourself. There's so much more to this experience here on this, you know, spinning blue ball. If I want to get a little existential with you, um, then, you know, just the job that you're performing. And obviously it's a passion for all of us. And I think it is an extension of that, but it really is, um, having the courage to step outside of your comfort zone and to really become a part of the community that you're living in and um, realizing that you are making that life for yourself. Because I've definitely made friends outside of work um, in New York and it was just by going to a workout class or just being, you know, part of the community or volunteering somewhere and just realizing like, hey, if I'm going to do this, like I'm all in, I'm not, and I'm going to do it with passion. And um, it's really turned into a great experience. So that's, that would be my biggest piece of advice, but it's scary. It's scary. It's hard. It can be lonely, but um, I think that's when the real growth takes place is when you're uncomfortable and you do just step outside of your comfort zone and you will be so amazed with the growth that takes place. Has there been anything that you've started to do in New York that you didn't do in Denver? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, are you talking like professionally, personally, anything? Either, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, uh, in light of, you know, the whole COVID stuff, um, not right now. And maybe when I get back, I might be uh, finding other ways to get around town. But uh, just taking public transportation and walking everywhere. And, you know, I really feel like a full-on New Yorker. It's so fun. But, you know, I'm taking the subway and the train to work and, you know, sometimes the ferry over, you know, back and forth to New Jersey, which is like kind of part of everything. Um, so public transportation. And I think, I know this sounds kind of crazy because I used to take like a lot of workout classes just because like, that's how we kind of like, you know, you meet your friends and you socialize and with our crazy schedules, you, as you know, working in sports, like oftentimes we miss out on some of those, um, those social gatherings, a very popular phrase right now, given uh, the situation, but um, you know, when it's a holiday or a night or a weekend, you're like, oh, I'm working. So the workout classes actually provide that, you know, the opportunity for social interaction. So I think just, you know, doing a lot of that. And I have a girlfriend and we just, she's an instructor and we have similar schedules. So we just try and pop around the city and just take different workout classes because we're dorks. But I wish I could say something really cool and exotic and adventurous, but I think it's just like, trying to like fully be dive in the deep end and just have the experience. I was going to say public transportation is one. Cause obviously being here in Denver, you just drive everywhere. Yeah. You never really have to hop on any public transportation. And so I give you, see, yeah, I, was gonna say, I give you major props. Cause I think that would be right, the scariest ahead. part for me. It honestly, it was an adjustment. And like now with, um, you know, the technology that we possess, you know, in our it's handheld in our palms with these phones it really is a lot easier to get around because you can type in like wherever you're going in your maps and you just set it to the public transit and it will tell you like what subway to get on and then like where do you transfer to the train or the ferry so it, it's definitely been an adventure i have gotten on the wrong subway multiple times going in various directions and been late to several things but um it was it's always been an adventure um and that and you know another thing that i've really started to dive into is uh meditation, which I've really, really enjoyed over the past year and some change. But um, again, that city has everything they offer. So I, I went, I did a meditation workshop there and it was, it was really interesting. 
as you were going through your interview process to get to the to zone, when you're at that network level, do you really have to do like an audition or is it they know what you can do, they've watched your work and you just kind of go in and you talk to people? That's a really interesting question. Um, so this scenario is very unique. So DAZN has a partnership with MLB. So they bought rights for, I believe, three seasons. And then they in turn created what called ChangeUp, which I became one of the hosts of. But I already had an existing relationship with NHL Network, which is produced at an MLB Network. So I feel like I have all the bosses right now, but it's totally, totally cool. I love everyone I work with and work for. Um, but I already had that existing relationship with NHL Network as a correspondent with the Avalanche. And um, I absolutely loved everyone there. And I was like, man, I really love to like look into advancing my career a little bit further with them. And it all just kind of turned into this perfect storm where they're like, we're actually auditioning people for this changeup show through DAZN. I don't think they even had a name for it yet. So yes, I went out there. They already had a sense of what I could do. So it was kind of like the pre-screening. I sent them, um, I think they wanted some tape of me hosting like a full show with, you know, not without the cuts, like we do with our demo reels and we put the best of us out there. It was just a full, I think I sent them a post-game show from the Avalanche um, after they beat the Red Wings. I mean, obviously being an Avs fan, I had to send that one. <laughs> um, so yeah, I went out and it was an hour long audition. They gave me a research packet and we basically pretended like it was, I believe the last Friday of the regular season and Major League Baseball, and one of the existing hosts at MLB Network was like my co-host, Stephen Nelson, who made the experience so incredible. So then I left, and they had a callback audition, which was kind of like a chemistry test with the potential co-host. So yeah, it was, um, even at that network level, there are meetings, there are phone interviews, and there are obviously in-person auditions, and it's, uh, it was a lengthy process, but it was very, very uh, educational. Even if I didn't get it, I got a tour of the facilities. I'm like, guys, this is great. Even if I don't get this job, like, this is so cool. So um, I, I, for me, it was a really positive exper experience. Obviously, I got the job, so it was extremely positive. But um, even if I hadn't, I would have walked away thinking it was uh, a really great opportunity. You're hosting a lot now, occasionally doing sidelines. I know you were out here in Colorado and you did YouTube TV, which that has to be a really cool experience too with the Rockies. But how does that differ from being rinkside, being sidelines versus hosting? Yeah, it is a huge difference in a lot of ways. Um, and I know a lot of people kind of get their feet wet on the reporting side, which I think is great. And I think that does give you a lot of tools to um, – think on your feet and be very concise with your thoughts as I have not been doing a good job of uh, in this interview. Um, but I think that's such a good way to start. And then when you get into the hosting realm, um, you know, whether you're hosting pre or post game for, you know, the abs or nuggets or whatever, uh, versus, you know, hosting a show like change up, which is like very off the cuff and we're going in and out of games. It's very much like red zone for baseball, but with a lot of personality infused to an on the fly where it's almost all prompter. And we're lucky enough, we get to write our own on cameras, but then the rest, you know, when you're reading score sheets and stuff, that's literally happening in real time. So you're like going over it real quick while you're in the highlight. Um, so it's been interesting to experience like all these different forms of you know, hosting and reporting, or if I'm ringside for boxing and it, it could be a YouTube fighter, like I fight with Canelo or you're like hosting something. I think I did a Facebook red carpet show. Like um, I've gotten to experience like the full gamut of everything on every end of the spectrum. 
Um, but I think it is different, but it really is a craft that we're all trying to hone. And I don't want anyone to ever get discouraged with thinking like, okay, I am just by forward because that's a very important role. And if you can perform that role, then you can definitely go into a studio and host a for your post game. It just, it's a matter of, it's a matter of confidence and it really is knowing um, the subject matter. But once you know that and you're comfortable, you're just chatting with your analyst or you're by yourself. I mean, I was out in Michigan hosting pre, post and intermissions and doing the interviews for a, a, a hockey tournament on NHL network. And I didn't have an analyst. So that was yet another time and opportunity to be like step outside my comfort zone. And it was okay. But you know, you studied, you did the work. And if you know, you can do it, then there really isn't, I don't, there are no limits, and especially for the ladies out there. I don't want you to ever think like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm female talent. And like, that's my role. I'm just going to be a sideline reporter. I don't think we should ever paint ourselves into that corner. I want to talk about boxing. How much about boxing did you know prior to taking this gig? That's also a great question. So they brought me in to host a baseball show and uh, work on hockey. And they're like, okay, we're going to have you uh, do a little bit on the boxing side. You and Adnan Burke came in and, you know, he's going to host. And I was really just brought into the first fight just to kind of like introduce some of the change-up talent to the primary DAZN audience, which is obviously a boxing audience here in the U.S. market, because obviously that's like probably the biggest rights they have. And I was just hosting red carpet stuff. So for me, I really didn't know a whole lot. And I just was completely enamored by the sport. My first fight was at, um, you know, in Vegas, it was at T-Mobile Arena. You have Canelo Alvarez, arguably like pound for pound, the best fighter, like active in boxing at this point in time. And I was sitting ringside and I was like, I love this. I want to know everything I can about the sport. So to be honest with you, not a whole lot, but once you just kind of get immersed in it and it's through osmosis and just passion. And I think you're very similar to me. Like if you know, you're going to be working on the sport, then you kind of go all in. So I, I worked a few fights, like kind of doing red carpet stuff. And then they began to see that I could do other things. So they let me host like fighter workouts for the Anthony Joshua fight that ended up being that huge upset with Andy Ruiz um, and that heavyweight tilt. So it, it just kind of like took on a life of its own. But I think kind of the lesson in all of that is even if you don't know, ask for the opportunities and study and do your homework and talk to the people that you are working with. Uh, that are the experts within that respective field, and they will help you out. You can create an opportunity for yourself that you didn't even did. How do you research? I always find it very interesting to ask women that are really high up on the totem pole, how do you go about researching? Because there's so much information out there. Like, how? What's your best way to get down all the information you need? Yeah, I think that's a great question because you go from maybe you're covering high school football or your best source is just calling the coach and going through the depth chart because there isn't a lot out there to, you know, you, you, you're covering college sports and there you have beat writers you can go speak with and you have social media and um, obviously you have your clippings and then you begin working with SIDs who can provide you with a lot of that information. Um, and then obviously like when you're on the beat of a single team, a, a lot of that information just came through again osmosis and being around the team on a you know daily basis because you don't end up knowing more than you know anything else that could be out there or found on the internet um and then for the studio shows we're extremely fortunate that you know at mlb and nhl network and obviously nfl network cps had the same thing they have a research department so every day we received a packet 
and it had all the games and it had nuggets on, you know, both teams and storylines and stats. And then during the shows, we actually have a researcher on hand who you can ask for things. So even if I'm hosting like a bridge show on NHL network going from game to game and updates, I can, you know, ask, you know, Jonathan or LG, who you know, we have best research team at both MLB and NHL network and they kind of cross over to both sports, but you can ask them for like, Hey, like I just need a nugget before going to break, or I have this scoreboard coming up and I don't just want to read the numbers on the scoreboard. They can give you some context, but, um, and then every morning I'm waking up and I'm reading as many articles as I can, both on, you know, MLB, just their site and um, following like social media, you follow a lot of the, the insiders. So it's, it's kind of a combination of things. And I think as, you know, the way we communicate and we tell stories changes, like you just have to kind of keep up with the way like the landscape is changing. So I don't know if that gave you a lot of <laughs> background, but anyway, I can, but I really do like going directly to the source. If I'm working on the sidelines, my first step is usually to reach out to the PR department myself and get in touch with someone and just say, hey, is there anything that hasn't been out there? Like, I don't want to tell a story that's already out there. Or if there is a story that's out there, I want to expand upon it. And if I can, like, when, especially when I covered college football, I would call their high school coaches. I would try and get a hold of their parents and just kind of build and expand on that story and really do, I think, the legwork and just kind of provide something that no one else can, because I think that's where our value comes in is, as storytellers. You've done a great job of creating your own brand being LG Red. I took a look at your portfolio and I love how you guys emphasize the R's and the Reds and everything like that. What is your advice for somebody who's looking to build their brand? Totally by accident, Rachel. Like when I first started on Twitter, which I didn't even know like how to use it, but I'm like, I guess I need to use this thing. I don't even know how it works. It was just my name. And it was like, I think I had underscore D because, you know, of course, everything, every name's already taken and it was hacked. So I had to delete the account and then my name was taken and I was like, okay, I'll just put LG in there. Like those are my initials is fine. And that was taken. And I was like, LG, I'm like, I guess I'll just put red in because I have red hair. And it kind of like ended up taking on like its own little life after a few years. And when I was working at CBS Sports Network, they were joking. They're like, oh, LG red. And like people just started calling me that. Like, and I was just like, oh, okay. Like, I guess this is like a thing now. So then when, yeah, I had uh, the website created the, the, Trey, who's working on it, he's a very talented graphic designer, and he's the one who emphasized all that. I'm like, guys, I guess this is what we're doing now. <laughs> it was on accident, but um, it was a very, you know, happy accident. But I guess the advice is you just kind of like let things, I think, organically um, come to fruition in a way and like play themselves out. Like, have you ever met someone that like tells you their nickname and they like insist on being called by that? It's kind of weird versus like people who just start calling you something and you're like, Oh, okay. Like, I guess this is like something that's like working and um, you know, there's no better like research is in terms of marketing than like your own coworkers and people around you. So people are receptive to it, but I think you just kind of have to ease into it, but it is also something that's like simple and easy. So if you are trying to create something, it's like has to be catchy and something that people can remember easily. Do you like LG Red since obviously you didn't mean to do it? Do you enjoy the nickname? <laughs> yeah, I really don't care. Like from the time I was, you know, 10 years old playing softball to now, like I've had so many different nicknames. So I was just like, dude, like call me Gardner, call me LG, call me Ginger. Like, I don't care what you call me. Like I've been called everything. So yeah, I was just like, you know what? This is fitting. And 
it kind of transcends, you know, time and workplaces and sports. And I was just like, you know what, this is obviously specific to me. And it was a happy accident and it's simple and it's like, seems organic enough. So yeah, I'm totally cool with it. It's just so random. <laughs> you and I both know that social media can be a harsh place to be on. Yeah. How do you handle hatred that you get? That's such an interesting subject and I'm glad you brought it up because we talked about it like myself Jackie Redman and Julia Stewart Binks discussed this and there are some people that love to clap back so to speak and um for them and I get it like they want to put the people on blast and they're they're trying to make sure they're taking responsibility or at least they're like kind of held accountable for what they're putting out there because it's you know you put it out there into the void and you're hiding behind this device and this handle and sometimes you're not even putting like your name or your you know your photo out there in your profile so for some people I totally understand and like in a lot of ways respect what they're doing but for me I just try to stay away from it I don't feed the trolls I it's just not really my thing because I'm a very positive person so for me paying attention and and giving attention to that negativity kind of like negates the whole point of it. Like to me, I want to use social media as a very like positive platform and as a way to, it's obviously an ex extremely useful news force, especially on the Twitter side. But yeah, I just, I want to put, this sounds so cliche and cheesy, but I want to put the good vibes out there. So I try not to engage with it, but I would be completely lying to you, Rachel, if I said like it didn't get to me at times. Like it's, we're humans. Like it's sad and it hurts your feelings when people say mean things about you, but we're pretty tough. We have thick skin, but I, I try to avoid it. But yeah, there are definitely days when I'm like, damn, that was, that was mean. <laughs> when you were younger, was there ever a point where you're like, I just need to stay off of this because like, it's just hurting what I'm doing? Yeah, I think so. I think the, the most dangerous thing you can do, even though it's so tempting is to google yourself and i think it's also very effective because you need to see what's out there but at the same time like it's such a dangerous like rabbit hole you could go down and um i i don't know if there was ever a time when i but i think my new rule is like you know what as long as there's nothing crazy out there like i i stay away from searching myself on twitter from googling myself from any of that like as long as there's nothing bad out there like it is what it is. And you know what, there are so many other people on air that have things out there that are worse, which is, you know, just the fact of the matter, because the internet, things don't go away. Oftentimes, a lot of it's not true. It's very ugly. It's, it's in poor taste. And it's just, it's negative. So I don't think there's anything that positive that can come from either searching yourself on Twitter or Googling yourself. So for the most part, I stay away from it. And then the mentions are usually not that bad. But if there's a bad one, I'm just, I just block them or I delete the comment because I just try to get it out of my universe. <laughs> well, you said you like to put positive vibes, but have you ever gone at somebody on Twitter or Instagram and just been like, are you kidding? Because I know Julie, first of all, her Twitter has to be hysterical and she's <laughs> yeah. like the queen of it. But have you ever gotten to that point where you were like, listen, like this isn't cool. You know, have you ever said anything? Um, That's a great question. I honestly... There was one time where someone like mentioned, you know, went off on this whole um, rant about like a dress I was wearing, I think, for a show. And all I responded with, I quote tweeted, and I just said, I didn't realize that looking nice and being good at my job were mutually exclusive. And I said, you know, like, why don't we lift each other up? But other than that, I mean, again, I, I, it's not like I am not above any of that and I respect it. Just for me, it's just, it's 
it's not part of my disposition. I think even from the time I was a kid, like I'm not a very, I'm not a confrontational person. I'm a very positive person. So maybe when I was a little younger, I may have gone back and forth and it never leads to anything good. And I think one time I put something out about an actor and I didn't like add him or anything. It was about a, an old movie. And I was like, whatever happened to that guy? And he responded. He found my tweet and responded. And I was like, holy crap. Like, and it's like a relatively like well-known name. And I was like, did this dude like search his name on Twitter and find this and like call me out? So I deleted the entire conversation after I like apologize. I'm like, I mean, it's like anything by that. It wasn't even negative. It was just like, whatever happened to this guy? Um, and he like put out something like super condescending, like, oh, I didn't know you're so smart, whatever. So I was just like, you know what? Like, this is not a good idea. So <laughs> do you often think about things that you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't post this on social media or like even about your personal life? Yeah, honestly. Um, and the new rule of thumb, cause uh, you know, maybe when I was younger, I, I may have posted things that I was like, ah, uh, the new rule of thumb is if you have to think about whether or not you should put it out there, then you probably shouldn't. And I try to keep my personal life personal. Um, you know, I want people to know me and I want to share that part of me and I want to be as authentic and genuine as, po as possible. But when it comes to family and personal life and that, like that's, that's my personal life. And I don't think I should have to share that because I'm not on a reality show. Like I'm here as a storyteller and uh, a host. So I try to give everyone like my truest self, but I also think you can draw that line when it comes to your personal life. And some people love to share everything. And I think that's great. And I find it very entertaining and fun. But for me, that's, I like to try to, you know, the whole Seinfeld thing, worlds colliding. I like to keep them separate. How do you deal with the male audience who may yell at you while you're out in an event or, you know, be harassing without actually hopefully coming up to you? How do you deal with those events? I'm sure you've encountered a lot of this yourself and a lot of the, the female reporters and hosts out there have. And uh, for the most part, I usually diffuse the situation uh, if, if, you know, they're in close proximity, like when I used to host, you know, pregame with the abs and you're up there in the stands. And, um, you know, for the most part, people were really great, but there were some people that were inappropriate and you either diffuse it with humor um, and I learned that from the days when I was a Broncos cheerleader, they kind of gave you some tools to use. And that's, again, that's no excuse for those people to behave that way, but sometimes they do. And it's, it's kind of part, it comes with the territory. And I hope there will come a day when women never have to deal with that, right? Like where it's like, it's not acceptable and <laughs> um, people just don't behave in that manner. But for the most part, you can use humor and um, you know, like, ah, oh, sorry, like my boyfriend doesn't like it when I give my number to other guys or, you know, you I don't think being, again, confrontational ever helps matters, but then, or if someone will say something extremely offensive, like, hey, like, do you talk to your mother like that? Or, you know, something like that. And for the most part, or you just ignore it. And, you know, typically if you don't give them the attention they're seeking, they, they stop. Um, and if it gets bad enough, I don't know if this has ever happened, but I mean, if, especially if you're at a venue where you're working, you can send security to kind of take care of the problem. But hopefully it doesn't come down to that. And, you know, for the most part, I think people, especially that male audience, like they're trying to flatter you in a way, but maybe saying certain phrases and words are not the way to get there. And I feel like a lot of times too, they've had a little too much to drink. So they're probably just definitely yeah. not in the right frame of mind. Have yeah. you ever had a player or somebody that you have worked with put you in an uncomfortable position that you've had to handle? You know, that's obviously a very tough situation. Uh, for me, no. Like, I feel like I've 
been really fortunate in that respect and just kind of like, you know, hopefully creating those boundaries. But, you know, it, it, a lot of workplaces, people end up, you know, in romantic relationships. So I don't fault anyone who ever has. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, I think it's, you know, case by case basis. But no, for me, I think I've like, I've been really fortunate. And again, if anyone, you know, that you don't really know when you're like in a situation where you're interviewing someone, says something, you know, that even if you don't have a boyfriend at the time, the go-to is like, ah, sorry, like my boyfriend doesn't like when I do this, but hey, like, let's do this interview. It's going to be great. Cause you want to have that rapport with them. You don't want it to be, you know, like an awkward, stiff interview. Like I think the whole point of what you hope to bring to the table is that people feel comfortable with you and that they're going to just talk to you. Like there isn't a camera rolling and you're just going to have that conversation. It's like someone's just sitting there kind of a fly on the wall, like listening to that. So you want to make sure like it's a comfortable environment. But for the most part, I have to give a lot of the people that I've worked with the credit, like they're extremely professional. I listened to your drinks with Binks uh, episode with Julie. And you said <laughs> when you were getting started in the industry, you never took no as an answer. So my question to you is how do you continue to push without pissing people off? Wow. Good way to phrase that. And I, I feel like you have done a really good job at being persistent as well. And a, like, you, you have to walk the line, right? So, um, yeah, I think you stay on people, whether it's um, email, texting, phone calls. And I think, you know, part of being good at your job is being able to read people. And if you sense maybe they're getting frustrated or annoyed with you, you just take that cue and you back off. But um, especially when you're getting started, like my first internship at Fox Sports Rocky Mountain, I had to call the guy five times because he's like, oh my God, this girl, like finally just come in, whatever. And then, you know, you start to show that, okay, your persistence also, you know, carries over to your work ethic and that you're good at what you do and you work, you know, like you're going to be there and you're willing to learn and you're eager, um, but you're going to carry yourself in a professional manner. But yeah, that you're, I think, yeah, it's like, there's a fine line between being persistent and annoying. And I think you have to walk that, but um, I think you're doing a great job of it. And I think a lot of the people who've been successful in this industry have found um, that perfect balance. It's actually so hard. Cause you know, when you get an idea, yeah. at least for me, when I get an idea in my head, I just want to run with it. I'm like, okay, I've got all these mm -hmm. great ideas. Like I just want to continue. And I think it's really important for people to remember that what may be top priority on your list is like number 32 on somebody else's list. That's a great way to approach it. Like you have a, a tremendous amount of empathy and the way you look at that. And I think that's a big thing is putting yourself in someone else's shoes and realizing, yeah, like, okay, so this person has, like you said, all these things on their to-do list. I mean, especially during like, you know, this, this whole, this pandemic, you know, I have all these ideas for things I want to do. And I've reached out to people that I work with and they're like, Hey, like just chill for a minute. Like we have bigger fish to fry and that's okay. You know, and you just kind of accept that reality, but you also have to like stay top of mind, like working in sales. True. Very true. Lauren, one of the things I really love about you is the way that you handle your pace. Uh, that, I feel like that's one of the biggest things when I look up to women is how well they pace themselves when they talk. When I talk and I've been working on it so hard, I tend to ramble and I just want to get everything out as fast as I possibly can. And you do it with such grace and you just slow down. You pronunciate all your Aww. words. What tips do you have for women who want to slow down and practice that pace? Oh, that's so kind of you. Thank you. And I think you do a tremendous job for the record. Thank you. <laughs> but I understand. I think that is really difficult to, I don't want to say master because I don't think anyone will, has ever like 
properly mastered it unless you're like Bob Costas or like Jim Nance or Tracy Wolfson or you know I'm just naming a few of the many people that probably have I think it's difficult because you want to come across as natural right and so when you're speaking to somebody you're not speaking you know like maybe you know someone is reading out of a book right like you're not narrating a documentary um so you want to be relatable but you also know you're on live television oftentimes so you're just like oh my god like this is crazy the red light's on and I have this I have 30 seconds to get this all this information across so I think it's just something I and this is something that Vic Lombardi put out there and I really love this piece of advice because oftentimes we hate watching ourselves or listening to ourselves but you have to watch the tape what does any great athlete do they watch their tape that's what every team does I mean so I, I think watching myself back, I was really able to work on my cadence and just getting more and more comfortable. And that's through reps and trying to be, especially with your sideline reports, as concise as possible. And I'm not someone that believes in writing out your report to, you know, to the word because you, you miss one word and then the whole thing screwed up. But usually for like my first report, even with the abs, like, you know, opening up the show, I would have a lot of that scripted out and then the rest I would just kind of talk off the cuff but I was really trying to just and I spoke with our director about this with the abs who's still with them and now he's with the new Cubs network and he's great Mike Fox his biggest piece of advice to me was when you're coming out of break to just get into it and we call I was like oh yeah the meat and potatoes he's like we don't need to reset everything people are watching the game they know the score they know where we're at they know what's happening so it was really just getting into the meat and potatoes of the story so you can focus on telling that story and you can take your time and you can really feel like you weren't rushed and then you just got back into it. But there were times when I'm like, oh crap, they're entering the zone and there's a scoring chance and I need to wrap this up <laughs> and know that they can always come back to you. And that's also something in studio, like I hadn't really worked on many prompter shows and like even with, you know, on the fly with NHL network, I still have to work on just like my cadence and slowing my pace. So it's something I'm just cognitive of and just try to work on, but I can't say it's always something that I'm good at. Well, I think you do a great job. Every piece of work Thank I've you. seen of you, you've done a great job. Another thing you are very good at, and I know it's very hard with some of the names that are in the NHL. And especially boxing too, pronunciation of names. Are there any tips that you have for anybody trying to nail a name that is not easy to say? Well, I appreciate the compliment, uh, first and foremost. Yeah, that was, it still is like one of the most challenging aspects of covering hockey because I swear to God, I look at some of these names. I'm like, dude, there's an emoji in this name. Like, how am I supposed to pronounce this? <laughs> um, you know, again, I think it comes down to, uh, using the resources that we have in which we have so many like I remember we did a draft preview show where we did several small like little online uh, vignettes for altitude and we were previewing guys that there wasn't really anything out there so we're going through YouTube I'm like YouTubing these names hoping the announcers are pronouncing these kids you know names properly so I mean if it's something smaller like that that or reach out to the PR person and just ask them yourself if you have that resource. Um, and then all the way up to like, obviously we have research and stuff like that, but it, it came down to it. And I finally realized like I used to be intimidated or like maybe feel somewhat inadequate if I were to ask someone to their face, the pronunciation of their name, but as a, a responsible reporter, and if you wanna have that journalistic integrity, so to speak, why don't you just go directly to the source? So it got to the point, and I even did it most recently at um, 
the outdoor game in Colorado Springs with Ajay Kopitar. I was like, listen, dude, you've been in the league for a long time, but before we begin this interview, and he's been interviewed a billion times, right? But there were some discrepancies on how to pronounce his name. I'm like, can we just clarify, like, how do you want me to pronounce your name? Is it, because some people are saying it's Anze, and some people are saying it's Ajay. And he's like, no, it's Anjay. I'm like, okay, well, that was easy. And he's like, well, thank you for asking. And that also happened with uh, Nazem Kadri because you know in Toronto they were pronouncing it a different way obviously now here with the abs and altitude did the same thing they were great you know great at just like hey dude like this is your name we have you right here in front of us why not ask you and again I was passing him at the outdoor game and I was he's like oh hey my name's Oz blah, blah, blah. I'm like hey can we just clarify because at NHL Network like everyone's like wondering you know not wondering but their people have like different ways of pronouncing his name they're both similar not neither of them are necessarily wrong and He's just like, yeah, it's Nas like Paws and Cadre like Cadbury Egg. And I was like, thank you. And so I went back to work and I'm like, guys, I asked him and this is how he's trying to pronounce his name. So sometimes it's just going directly to the source and not being intimidated. Like if you have a name, you have to say it, like just say it with confidence and more times than not, people will at least believe you. <laughs> That's a lot of advice I've gotten too. Is just like, even if you're not really sure to say it with confidence and you'll fool like 50% of the people at least, do you continue to repeat it? Like, if you're like, I need to, like, really get this name down, do you say it over and over and over again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Oh, it wasn't Debrinket. There was another one, though, um, uh, in my first ever, like, basically NHL tonight. And I was like, oh, come on. Of course, the guys have it tonight has, like, one of the most difficult names to pronounce. And even if you do screw it up and you're on live television, I was like, Wixie, I've been practicing this thing for 30 minutes. And I still screwed it up. And it became, like... You know, it was, it, I think it ended up becoming a fun moment instead of, you know, like beating yourself up or like stumbling over it repeatedly. So like be gentle with yourself, but yeah, repeat it in your head and then go for it and do it with confidence. And if you screw it up, you do. But I think the key is just moving forward. Even if you do mess it up, it's okay. Like these names are difficult. And it, I think it allows people to connect with you too, because they might be like, yeah. I don't know how to say this name. And if you're like, I've been trying to do this for 30 minutes and like, you know, it turns into a joke, right? Kind of like you said. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and those are the moments I think that, like you said, it, I think it humanizes you and that's the connection that people make because you're the one that they're inviting into their lives to tell them about their favorite player or their favorite sport or their favorite team. And that's like the connection. So if they're like, Hey, this person's just like me, like I could sit down on the couch and have a beer with them. Like, I, I think if anything, sometimes those moments where you make a mistake or you make fun of yourself, this happened on change up all the time and we'd roll something back and like, we'd make fun of ourselves or, you know, they're like, like, LG, what was this? I'm like, I have no idea. That was awful. And it was just, it's, they end up becoming fun moments. What would you say are your three absolutely do not do's on camera? Wow. Interesting. Um, three. Uh, well, number one, don't curse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would say that depending on what platform you're on, even on the zone. I, I was going to say, I heard you put it. mofo out of a boxing one. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mofo. And then I had someone just cuss at me like multiple times before a fight, like not at me, but they were using oh. multiple curse words. So I was like, oh, okay, well, that's not quite it. Um, By the way, I have to give you major props for how you handled that interview. Because if somebody was like sexy MFR, I would be like, oh my God, <laughs> I don't even know what to oh, do. Yes, Billy Joe Saunders. Yeah, that, yes. one, that was all part of that week where it was like Logan Paul and KSI and they're like 
calling each other all sorts of names. And I was just like, okay, well, this is a, a, a twist in the career. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it is, you know, I was just like, okay, but it was funny. He said that. I was like, wow, we're on stage and this is happening. So let's roll <laughs> with it. But he was great. And that was a memorable moment. Um, so yeah, so, but as in my opinion, and that's, I mean, depends on like how the, again, the landscape can change and the whole complexion of whatever you're working on can change. But for the most part, I would say don't cuss. Um, what's another one? Like three, like don't do's. Um, you know, I think it's something silly, like chewing gum. And I made that mistake once and I learned the hard way and it was so bad and so embarrassing. Uh, so yeah, don't curse. Don't chew gum. Is there any like words that you really try and stay away from? I know guy, yeah. like, people say, don't say guys a lot. Um, uh, cause it could be a woman you're talking about and then it's not the correct, you know, like terminology. So is there anything like that? Good point. I say guys all the time too. I should work on that. Um, anyway, so <laughs> you know, make sure you're just speaking instead of, you know, trying to construct the perfect sentence that isn't the way you speak. So whether it's live or in studio, um, you want to just be comfortable and natural. So I guess a word, any of the fillers, and it's easy to come up with a filler, um, an like. um or a now like so I, I think you try to stay away from the fillers but I think the biggest thing is just be yourself so that's a, a like not a don't do but a do just do your best just to be yourself because I went through a period where I was trying to be this like robot reporter because I thought that's what you know it was expected of me and once I finally let go and I was just like oh I just get to be myself like that's really cool so I think the biggest thing is like don't try to be something you're not just be you because no one else can be a better version of you than yourself and that's why you're there in the first place is to be you like I'm never going to be I know the most popular name out there right now Aaron Andrews or you know a, a Tracy Wolfson or even like Jackie Redmond who I work alongside like I have to be me and once you realize that and I still go through that where I'm like oh I, you know you almost feel inadequate at times but when you finally realize like yo like just be yourself it's great so true. Another one I have for you is agents. And I feel like this is a topic that people try to stay away from, but I feel like it's really important for the college women and younger women to talk about it and kind of get an insight. Cause I've heard a lot of recent stories about people getting screwed over by agents and, you know, having lawsuits against them. I just watched Molly McGrath wow. and she had oh. a horrible experience with it. So I just want to get your opinion. At what age did you get your first agent? This is so interesting as, as far as a topic, because I think at, there's a certain point where you probably do need representation, but then you're right, you can't end up, and I have heard horror stories of people who just like want to represent you, but they may not, you know, I, I, and again, I like, I love the agents I've worked with personally, so I really have had like very positive experiences, but you do have to be careful, you know? Um, so I think I was relatively young. I think I was around, 24-ish and um I I just thought it was kind of time like right I was I was like yeah you know I might need someone that might be able to find more work outside of the state of Colorado um and then I kind of you know bounced around just depending on you know like where I was in my career to various agents so um I love having representation um but I don't know if you need it at such an early age if that makes sense, because I think oftentimes we through networking and like the persistence that we spoke about previously, we can usually procure our own work and then you get to hold on to, you know, 
the paycheck, which is nice as well. Uh, I was on your website and you have two agents listed. Is that still true? Or why would you have two? Should you only have one? How does that work? Yeah, great question. So um, that is because at the agency, uh, they're just a team. So that's the only reason. So sometimes um, agents can work in tandem and one can focus more on the sports side, one focus focuses more on the entertainment side. And oftentimes now what you're seeing at these agencies is um, instead of just like having one representative, you kind of have like a, a team of people that have you on their roster. So if something comes across their desk and then they're like, okay, well, who do we have as you know a collective roster that might be appropriate for this uh, particular position? Usually that ends up helping in oftentimes the relationships with various networks um, can differ. So like that one person may have a better relationship with an MLB than the other guy or gal does. So I think that's why, but that's at least why in my particular case. What would you say <coughs> is a good percentage that they should take? Because I feel like at a young age, somebody could come at you and be like, oh, I'll take 15% and then you don't realize it, right? And you would be like, yeah, you would have no idea. You're like, great an agent. It sounds so exotic and sexy and like, wow, like I want an agent. Um, the going rate, the industry standard is 10%. So never pay anything above that. And if you get to a point where you might be able to negotiate something less, if they're only negotiating your contract, um, that's up to you and that person. But the industry standard is 10%. Okay, good to know. Uh, I also want to talk to you about fashion. So this podcast is called Sports and Stilettos for a reason because I firmly believe that you can love clothes and love sports. And I know when I was in college, people were always like, you can't love clothes. And I was like, do you see like all the women reporters? And it just really stuck with me. And so I want to talk I to you. I love that. Thank you. You have worn heels on the ice before. And <laughs> have you ever fallen? Um. So yes, I have worn heels and they, they advised against it because my uh, predecessor ended up having a spill on the ice and heels. <laughs> so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to give it a shot. Like, you know, you know what, if I fall, then that is entertainment and I had it coming and I am totally fine with being the butt of the, like the joke and everyone, you know, whatever. So I am happy to report that in my three years of covering the abs and walking on the chopped up ice, I never fell. That said... When I was the in-game host for the Avalanche back in 2011 or so, I was at center ice on a carpet hosting some sort of relay race. And it was like, you're building a sandwich. So you had the two buns that were like racing to build the sandwich. And I was calling one race or uh, one team and the race was very tight. My back was turned to the other team and it was one of those photo finishes. And the person behind me um, ran and dove on their partner and they ricocheted off of them into me, like totally took me out. <laughs> it was during like the first or second intermission, obviously at a NAVS game, and they replayed it on the Jumbotron multiple times. But that was not the result of wearing heels. So I stand by wearing heels if you want. And like you said, Rachel, you have great fashion. And I don't think, um, like I had mentioned earlier with that, you know, that rant that someone went off on me about that. I think if you want to dress a certain way, that's obviously, you know, appropriate. Um, and care about fashion and enjoy it, then that's part of who you are. And again, you have to stay true to yourself. It doesn't mean you know any less about the sport in which you're covering. So true. Where do you get your clothes for on air? I've seen a few rent the runway dresses. 
Yes. So you're obviously a rent the runway connoisseur. That's, yes. Girl, that's, that's um, pretty much what I stick with is rent the runway because I'm so bad at like shopping and stuff. So um, it's just so easy. It's like the click of a button on your app and it's like, boom, the clothing just appears at your door. Uh, so that's typically it. I usually just go with rent the runway. It's pretty foolproof. Every now and again, you know, you get something that doesn't fit properly or doesn't look the same way. And I mean, I, I'm the first to admit though, I have watched shows, games back and thought that I looked in the mirror before I left the house and thought that outfit looked great. And then in hindsight, watching it back on television, it looked horrible. So we are all going to make those mistakes and it is okay because things don't necessarily translate um, on screen as well as they do in person. So it's okay. Be gentle with yourself. Forgive yourself. Uh, but usually Rent the Runway is a pretty safe bet. True. What would you say is your go-to outfit if you are doing sidelines? Usually it's uh, leather leggings, Spanx, because they fit so well and they're very comfortable and they last forever. Uh, some sort of like camisole tank top underneath and then a blazer and that's like what I did I was out in Denver covering the Ovechkin 700 game and heels and it's a comfortable outfit it looks sharp and it's um you always feel appropriate when you know you're around the teams or whatever and I just I always feel confident and I know I can run upstairs and downstairs and all over the ice if I need to and they still look somewhat put together so that's usually the go-to I love dresses I love skirts I've worn them multiple times but if I'm in for a long day of like covering you know, a game or a team or a story, and it's it's going to be like a 12 to 15 hour day. I just throw on the leggings and a blazer and I forget about it. What is your go-to color that you love to wear on air? Yeah, so I know a lot of people have like their signature color. Um, it's a lot, oftentimes, I know it sounds so boring, but you can't mess up black. I agree. <laughs> so sometimes, right? Like, when in doubt, just throw on something that's black because it looks good on camera, usually looks good on everyone. That or like a blue. Blues are good for me. Yeah, I love blue. And I bet blue looks really good with your red hair too. I bet thank it really you. pops out. So very nice. Well, Lauren, thank you so much, first of all, for taking the last hour out and talking to me. I, honestly, you had so much great advice and I know a lot of other women will agree. So thank you so much. Oh, Rachel, thank you. And best of luck with your career. You're crushing it. And I think what you're doing here is honestly invaluable for all of the young women out there that are looking to pursue not only this career, but work in this industry because there are so many roles and so many opportunities. And honestly, I believe that there's room for all of us. So um, thank you for having me and I'm always happy to help. I loved this conversation with LG. I think she's done a great job of creating her brand as LG Red. And she gave a lot of great advice too. And knowing personally LG, she is super sweet, super genuine. And I know I can always go to her for honest feedback, honest answers on things. So it was really great to have her on the podcast this week. Again, I hope everybody is being safe, being healthy. Hopefully you've been able to kind of adjust to a new normal. Hopefully sports are coming back up sooner rather than later. And the NFL draft is this week. So I hope everybody enjoys the draft. I know we got to watch the last dance about MJ. Small things that are sports related, but they're making a huge difference during this time. So again, I hope everybody is staying safe and healthy and we'll see you next week.